This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Ladinsami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable. It's Saturday and this weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. We're delighted to be joined by one of Israel's leading elected officials, Flor Hassan Nahum. She serves as deputy mayor of the city of Jerusalem in charge of foreign relations, international economic development, and tourism. She is a co-founder of the UAE Israel Business Council, an association of Emirati and Israeli business and government leaders fostering bilateral trade, innovation, and cooperation. Flor was born in London, grew up in Gibraltar, and immigrated to Israel in 2001. And on this note, we welcome Madam Deputy Mayor of the City of Jerusalem. Welcome, Flor. Welcome, Flor. Thank you so much for having me. Flor, this past week in Israel, celebrations commenced to mark the Jewish state's 75th anniversary. It has been called the miracle of our time, with a 2,000-year-old dream and a vision of the Jewish people to return to their original homeland. The sovereign state of Israel was reestablished. Over the next few months across America, from the American heartland, the Midwest to the South, and from the East to the West, local events will celebrate Israel's 75th anniversary and focus on the future of the U.S.-Israel partnership. In fact, this is rather unique. Flora, can you share with our engaged listeners in America, what is the atmosphere like in Jerusalem and throughout Israel at this very moment, and what are Israelis experiencing as they reflect on the tireless efforts over the past 75 years in building the only rule-of-law nation in the Middle East based on democratic institutions? Well, thank you so much uh, for having me on your show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you both. 75 years is quite a feat for a country that within six months of its establishment, all its neighbors went out to destroy it. Uh, every war in this country, essentially, the, all the wars that have been started against us have all been existential in the sense that they were out to destroy us. And the fact that we've not only managed to keep ourselves safe and sovereign, but that we've managed to flourish as a country becoming a technological superpower is, you know, is a miracle. Um, unfortunately, we've had to pay for it with, uh, with blood, uh, flesh and blood of our sons and daughters. And what's interesting about the week that just went by is that we have these two days that are kind of like an emotional roller coaster. We have Memorial Day for the uh, fallen soldiers. Uh, up to now, it's almost 25,000 fallen soldiers that we've had to sacrifice in order to be free in our homeland. And then that day goes into a day of celebration, which is all about, of course, celebrating. So that kind of emotional roller coaster that we experience in 48 hours is, you know, is, it, we do it every year, but this year 
has got added significance because, of course, of the very important 75th anniversary. Right. And Fleur, uh, you co-founded UAE Israel Business Council. And in 2020, during the Trump administration, the Abraham Accords were signed between Israel, United Arab Emirates and Bahrain in Washington, D.C. And soon after, Morocco and Sudan joined the Abraham Accords and all the signatories committed to pursue a vision of peace, security and prosperity in the Middle East and around the world. A signing of Abraham Accords was a historic accomplishment in bringing peoples together that have been cut off from opportunities to trade and invest among themselves and from visiting each other. And through Abraham Accords, these countries also aligned against Iran, a regime driven by its dangerous aim to develop nuclear weapons and terrorize its neighbors. And finally, Abraham Accords signatories recognized that the peace and prosperity in the Middle East is possible, despite Palestinian leadership opposition. Fleur, as a co-founder of UAE Israel Business Council, with a vision to provide the foundation for a warm and lasting peace between the UAE and Israel and people-to-people ties based on shared opportunities, economic benefits and business partnerships. Could you share with us about the impact of the Abraham Accords on Israel relations with the Arab states and what have been the most recent developments that came as a result of signing of the Abraham Accords? So first of all, I can't uh, overestimate the importance of the Abraham Accords, which is literally the most important diplomatic uh, achievement in decades here in the region and possibly in the world. Um, The Abraham Accords has basically changed everything in the sense that it's realigned the Middle East between countries that want peace and prosperity and countries that want radicalism and destruction. And the Arab world has understood that to ally itself and to make peace with Israel, it's in their interests. Israel as a technological superpower, Israel is the only country uh, who at the moment is standing up to the threat of Iran. And so everything has changed. And even more than that, it's a different piece than what we've had before with Egypt and Jordan. The The Egyptian and Jordanian peace was very strategic. Of course, it was good for them. It was good for us. It was after wars and bloodshed. Um, But it was very much top down and it never really trickled down. It was very much um, on the levels of security um, and the higher government levels. It never became a cultural peace, a people to people peace. It wasn't a warm peace. With the Abraham Accords, We've had an opportunity to reset and actually develop a new model of peace. And that is a peace that is not just based on shared interests in terms of common enemies, but it's a peace shared in terms of a real desire um, to connect, a real desire to talk about a more peaceful region, a real desire of people trying to get to know people, of Jews and Muslims coming back together. We were cousins. We are cousins. We're all children of Abraham. And so the difference is that the Abraham Accords is re-embracing this um, relationship between Jews and Muslims that was forgotten because of politics and because of the conflict uh, in Israel with its neighbors and the Palestinians. 
And so we're building some very solid ground for a much wider regional piece. But I think what's most, what's most interesting is that it's essentially ended the Arab-Israeli conflict. I mean, of course, there's conflict in this region. There's conflict between Israel and, unfortunately, and the Palestinians who haven't yet really accepted that we're not going anywhere. There's conflict in Iran with everybody else. There's conflict in Lebanon and Syria with all the state-sponsored terrorism that Iran is funding. There is conflict in the region, but there's no blanket Arab-Israeli conflict anymore because we've now finally been accepted as part of this region. And uh, that means that we can face regional challenges, be they security, be they water security, food security, cybersecurity, we can face common challenges that are regional together as a region. And that's been really game-changing. And what's really, really very interesting is that even countries that we had this cold peace with, Egypt and Jordan, that we had very little trade with, since the signing of the Abraham Accords, it's like they've got FOMO, fear of missing out, and trade with Mm -hmm. them has doubled and tripled. In the last few wow. incredible. Yeah, FOMO. It's a big thing. <laughs> That's amazing. Actually, I remember when we shared, we met in, in Jerusalem in December 2022, just a few months ago almost, and you shared about your efforts in UAE and how you're actually spearheading also women empowerment in the Middle East. And that's where you say, uh, you know, that the Abraham Accords is a different kind of a peace agreement because it's not just top down. It's actually expressing the wishes of the people of all these countries to work together in pursuing the same goal. So what have you been uh, your other initiatives with empowering women in the region? Yes, yeah, so I am also the co-founder with my good friend Justine Zwelling. I'm the co-founder of the Gulf Israel Women's Forum because we really believed that if we were going to have a warm, sustainable peace, they should really let the women take the lead on this. <laughs> And so mm-hmm. I created, we created the, the Gulf Israel Women's Forum The first ever physical meeting of Israelis and Emiratis was actually my women's forum in October 2020 because it was the middle of COVID and there were very little opportunities. And since then, we've, uh, we've, um, you know, continued to meet, network, uh, put together different uh, groups of networks of different people. Um, And most recently, um, I've taken one of the models of a program that I developed in Jerusalem for women in tech, and we're taking it uh, with the help of the American government. uh, We're taking it uh, regional. We're going to be doing our first meeting of tech women. The program's called Femme Forward in Morocco in another few weeks. And so we'll be taking women, women from the region and building skills to catapult them to senior management position. It's a program that, uh, that I co-founded here in Jerusalem for uh, Jewish and Arab women. Very successful program. And thank God we've now got the opportunity to spread it around the region. And so that's just one example of the things that we're doing in order to empower uh, the women of the region in business. 
Congratulations for this initiative. Thank you. Thank you so much. For, for our listeners that have joined us on America's Roundtable, we are joined by Madam Deputy Mayor Flor Hassan Nahum. And Flor, we have been amazed when visiting Israeli companies in the agricultural arena and the technology sectors from uh, visiting uh, Judea Samaria, also known as the West Bank, uh, to going all the way up to the Golan Heights. The innovation combined with hard work and the tireless efforts of citizens has really transformed a nation, uh, transformed a barren land to where we see, uh, you know, the fields blossoming. The, you know, we're seeing wine being exported around the world and other extraordinary work being done. Yeah. From your experiences in Israel, in Jerusalem, and you're seeing such great dynamism within the city of Jerusalem, what are those unique ingredients uh, that are fueling this transformation that is actually very unique to Israel? Well, you know that what they say, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Israel was created in 48, remember, we had no neighbors to trade with. Our neighbors wanted to destroy us. So there was no cross-border trade in any direction. Uh, we literally established a barren land uh, with very little agriculture. And we basically had no choice. So we developed um, agri-tech before anybody knew what the word agri-tech meant because we needed water in this country. You know, it's a Middle East country with uh, not so much rainfall. We needed water. We needed to grow our own food because we didn't have the luxury to import, export uh, with neighbors. And in those days, there was little opportunity to export or import far, far away. And so... You know, this I always say you wanna look you you wanna look for good technology, you look at where the needs are, and that's where the technology will develop. So Israel was a country with a lot of needs, uh, but ultimately, um, principally with the need to feed itself and uh, and provide water for itself. And so we developed technology very, very early on, before anybody did. For example, uh, there's a company called Netafim, which is a drip irrigation company. Now, drip irrigation was invented in Israel. Mm-hmm. Basically, we, we didn't have water to waste um, and to spray the fields the way that was done everywhere in the world. So we developed a system where we put little holes in in little pipes and drip out the very, very minimum water that is necessary for the crops to grow, uh, which worked and saved a lot of water. So that's one example today. Netafim is making inroads in Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, where they're looking at our water technology. So that's one example of something that was done decades ago mm-hmm. because we had no choice. I'll give you another example. In Israel, not just now, not just in the last 10, 20 years when solar energy has become popular, Israel for 50 years has had personal solar energy panels on top of each and every house to warm up our water. So every household in Israel, every single household in Israel warms up their water for bathing and showering and kitchen water with solar panels that everybody has on every roof in the country. So this is just, um, again, two very simple examples of how Israel had to create a situation where it could feed itself, give itself water, 
and also save energy in order to survive. And that technology now, you can imagine, exponentially has grown. I mean, we've got paint that makes solar panels even more absorbent. Mm -hmm. Everything you can possibly, nanotechnology, quantum technology, incredible cyber and blockchain technology, AI, anything you can think of, cyber. You know, nobody knows, but in the last few weeks, we've been attacked We've had cyber attacks here by Iran. Now, the cyber technology uh, defenses and the cyber technology that we've developed in the army uh, is crucial for us to be able to survive these type of attacks, which, by the way, are happening all over the world, including the, the United States of America. And so we had no luxuries. We could not afford to sit for one second and be complacent about our country. We had to build it from scratch. And we had to build uh, a way of sustaining ourselves and the population here. And so all of that experience is now proving extremely, extremely useful as an export uh, to the region who are water insecure, who are food insecure, and who need cyber protection. And so this is why the Abraham Accords, please God, will be very su successful because it's a win-win for everyone. And ultimately pushes us forward as a region. If this region didn't have the conflict that it had, we could be a superpower. This region has the human resources, the innovation technology, the ingenuity, uh, everything you need in order to solve not just the region's problems, but the world's problems. We need to get rid of these very toxic regimes that are trying to push us back for 500 years. Mm. Madam Deputy Mayor Flor Hassan Nahum, we thank you so much for joining us on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., and we wish you and your colleagues uh, greater success in the endeavors for the next 75 years in Israel. Thank you so much, Flor. Thank you, both of you. Thank you, my friends. Take care. Take care. Take care. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com.